0: the ft
1: welcome back to banking weekly with me patrick jenkins this week we'll be looking at the row of a banker's pay which has been reignited by the news that barclays chief bob diamond has got a 9.5 million pound bonus
2: i think the number is higher than some people would have expected i think that it shows that they are fully prepared to take on the full force of media of political of public outrage on this certainly if this is the opening salvo and what's going to be an intense focus on remuneration over the next three weeks it's a very firm salvo from the bank saying we're moving on
1: this will lead us nicely onto our second topic for the day project merlin and news on how the initiative is faring
3: We're hearing that they are close to an agreement on lending, which would see the biggest five banks lend up to about £190 billion to small businesses. This has been a very difficult deal to strike. This is what's delayed Merlin for the last couple of
2: weeks.
1: We'll end the show with a look at a few European bank results due at the end of this week.
2: With Deutsche being such a fixed income powerhouse, it's difficult to judge across the spectrum, but I suspect that... UBS and Credit Suisse will mirror the larger trend of weakness in fixed income as compared to a record 2009, but will not have fallen off as much as some of their Wall Street competitors have fallen off. Goldman, in particular, had a not very good fourth quarter.
1: Joining me in the studio to discuss these topics are Charlene Goff and Megan Murphy. We start the show with Stateside. This week, the US banking update comes from Francesco Guerrera on Wall Street. Over to you, Francesco.
4: Thank you, Patrick. In the United States last week, uh, we uh, focused on uh, three interesting and quite different stories. The first one was to do with how banks should be paying bonuses. The second one, fallout from the ongoing and growing insider trading investigation into hedge funds by the U.S. authorities. And the third one, an interesting strategic shift at the heart of Goldman Sachs. The first story, how banks will be paying their bonuses to bankers and traders from now on. The U.S. authorities are working on new rules, which are expected to be issued very shortly, about how much of the bonuses the banks pay every year should be deferred. The U.S. authorities, as we reported, are thinking about uh, forcing banks to defer up to 50 percent of each banker's bonus and subject to very rigorous clawback provisions so that if something goes wrong, uh, banks can keep the money and not pay them to the traders, something that is uh, worrying and uh, exercising the minds of bankers here on Wall Street. The second story, an aspect of the insider trading investigation that the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission has been carrying out into hedge funds. This time, it involved the largest uh, hedge fund in the U.S., which is called SAC, run by a very high-profile manager called Steve Cohen. Uh, Mr. Cohen wrote a letter to investors, which uh, we reported on, that said that uh, the investors in their fund will not suffer any Financial damage from the insider trading investigation. Now, we have to point out that no one at SAC has been charged, and SAC itself has not been accused of any wrongdoing. But Mr. Cohen took preemptive action saying, should there be any issues uh, in terms of legal fees or fines and everything else, the fund will uh, take care of that itself and will not be charging its investor. It's an important development because it shows that investors are very concerned about this issue and they want to uh, see and seek reassurances from the fund manager himself that they, the, the investor, will not be liable for any payments or any fallouts. And the third story, which we reported on, was uh, to do with uh, the way Goldman Sachs wants to use it's money. Goldman Sachs has been accumulating a lot of money, which it terms excess capital. And the uh, news that we reported on is Goldman Sachs is trying to use it to buy distressed assets. The problem that Goldman Sachs is facing is that there's been a rally in the value of these uh, properties and uh, distressed loans as a result largely of the greater risk appetite investors have uh, for this type of assets as the economy and the markets improve. And therefore, the prices are too high for Goldman to buy uh, any of these assets. So the issue, and it's a big dilemma for Goldman Sachs is whether to wait until prices come down, if they come down, or whether to go into the market now and use some of the capital that is sitting idly on its balance sheet. It's an important issue for Goldman because that's a crucial part of his business model and it's a crucial reason why they've been able to earn more returns than some of their Wall Street competitors and something that Goldman will have to grapple with in the next uh, few months. Back to you, Patrick.
1: Thanks, Francesco. Let's turn our attention to our first topic for today, the route of a banker's pay, which has been reignited by news of the bonus due to Barclays' boss, Bob Diamond, reportedly in the region of £9 million. Megan, you wrote about this story in Saturday's newspaper. Tell us how it came out, first of all, and uh, how it compares.
2: Well, this sort of looked to have been a little bit of a drop on Friday night by Barclays. Credit to them. I mean, if you want to place a story like that, uh, you know, That's one way to do it with little follow-up. But the essence is is that it looks like Mr. Diamond's going to be taking home as much as 9.5 million pounds. I, I think it'll be a shade over nine, and he is going to accept his bonus this year. As people may recall, last year and in 2008 um senior bankers and the bank chiefs waived their bonuses in entirety that Stephen Hester, Eric Daniels, et cetera, in an attempt to sort of shore up what were very fractious relationships with the government. There seems to be a near universal opinion this year that A, that gesture was not appreciated by either politicians or the public. The banks have found it very difficult to sort of improve their relationships with the government. But B also that this is now two years people have gone without taking their bonuses. And actually from speaking to many senior bankers, we all know at this table that they feel it is actually somewhat bad for the industry to not take them because it therefore goes into this prolonged period of what they would call not normal conditions for banking. Now, Bob Diamond is frequently compared to UK banking chiefs, but the better comparison is probably with the US bank chiefs, people like Lloyd Blankfein, the head of Goldman Sachs, James Gorman, the head of Morgan Stanley, and, and Jamie Dimon. Now, an award of £9 million, which works out to about 14 million US dollars, would be. Uh, significantly in in excess of what Mr. Blankfein took home. He was given a restricted share bonus of $12.6 million this year. James Gorman was awarded again a restricted share and option package of $7.4 million. And J.P. Morgan has not yet announced what Mr. Diamond has taken home in bonus. But it's going to be... I think it's just so easy for the politicians to attack this kind of number. It's close to ten million pounds. It's it's going to be really, really difficult for them at results.
1: There hasn't really been that much fallout over the weekend. I don't think from this. Is it? Do you, do you expect it to kind of pick up this week?
3: There hasn't been. I think it was very well-timed by Barclays, But, you know, David Cameron and other ministers have been saying that we're not going to police these individual bonus pools. Um, You know, they've shown that they're powerless in this kind of situation. So having made very little progress to kind of restrain bonus pools at at these British banks, it would look almost ridiculous if they came out and criticised it now because they've sort of had their chance to do something about it. They've failed, particularly around the issue of, of pay. And so, you know, they've
2: lost their authority on this. Just to follow up on that point, it's very interesting. I mean, I think the number is higher than some people would have expected. I think that it shows that they are fully prepared to take on the full force of media, political, of public outrage on this, and they kind of feel that people's interest in this subject is waning. I think it remains to be seen whether in fact that's true, but certainly if this is the opening salvo and what's going to be an intense focus on remuneration over the next three weeks, it's a very firm salvo from the bank saying we're moving on. And I think it's quite a a shift from Barclays actually, because a few weeks back we were hearing
3: that while yes, Bob Diamond was going to take a bonus, there might be some measure of restraint in that he would take something more in line with what he will get as chief executive, his current position. I was just going
1: to ask you on that, because that's an interesting point, isn't it? In previous years, forgetting the last two years when he's waived his bonus, previous to that, he was taking home, you know, among the biggest bonuses in in the industry, in excess of 20 million. So in that sense, the 9 million figure is an interesting one because i suspect it does fit what we'd been led to believe in the sense that it's probably you know somewhere like halfway between his historical bonus and what he might technically have qualified for as the investment bank chief at barclays and the new kind of rates that he in his in his new job as CEO will will qualify
2: for the bonus as CEO is capped at three point four million pounds. Yes. So this is this is so as this you is say, a one off year. An in, in that between that sense. an in between yeah. figure, and there's no question that there'll be some attempt to have made him up, made him whole for the past two years because. You know, looking at the figures that BarCap is, is going to come out with, it, it will not have as good of a year if you strip out the sort of lower loan impairments and fixed income, et cetera, and lower write-offs, the numbers will not be as good as they were last year underlying in trading and trading and in various other divisions. So that's going to be interesting. So there's no question that it's it's an attempt to make him up as well. And going forward, he won't be able to get quite this size bonus. But I think it's going to be incredibly controversial come results.
1: And it also, therefore, but doesn't set the tone, if you like, for the likes of Stephen Hester, as he was saying, or Eric Daniels, and so on, which are likely to be in the, the low single-digit millions, I Although guess. Oh
2: it's important to know that Stuart Gulliver, yeah. who is obviously now has taken the head role. Or well, a similar position. Yes, exactly. <laughs> will be compensated based on his investment banking chief position, we've been led to believe. Yeah. He's also looking at... 9 million, which is exactly the same as he took home last year.
1: Very good. Now, the the interplay between this and the the ongoing Project Merlin, which is the effort by the banks and the government to strike some kind of peace accord going forward, is interesting because... Leading that whole drive from the bank side is John Varley, the previous chief executive of Barclays, and the man that Bob Diamond replaced. It's hard to think of two men that are more different. John Varley is the epitome of the English establishment. Bob Diamond is the epitome of Wall Street, really. We are told that one of the reasons why John Varley went three months ahead of his original departure date with the end of last year was because of the tension between Bob and Barclays in terms of the attitude to pay, particularly, and lending, and the relations between them and and John Varley who was obviously pushing from the other side for restraint on bonuses in order to be able to strike this peace accord with government Where do you think, Charlene, we are at and does particularly the Bob Diamond stance on, on his pay do any damage to that broader effort?
3: Well, I think we'd already been quite aware that any agreement on bonuses and pay was going to be largely meaningless. We are at the final hurdle with Merlin, I think, which I know we thought we were two weeks ago, but this time we really do think we are. I think it should come tomorrow, at least in the next couple of days. The banks and the government are, are, of course, keen to get something agreed before the the British banks start revealing their results next week. So they really have to get it done this week. While, you know, I don't think it will say much around bonuses. It's just going
2: to
1: be a broad intention, really, isn't it? In, in yeah, terms so of broader b- bonuses for investment bankers, yeah. uh, we think maybe the UK bonus pools will be... Down will be lower below what yeah. they otherwise would have yeah. been. So, yeah.
3: and they've also been trying to strike an agreement over greater disclosure to give the public a bit more information about how their top earners um, are paid. But the most important point that will come out of it will be the agreement on lending, and this has been a very difficult deal to strike. This is what's delayed Merlin for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're hearing that they are close to an agreement on that, which would see the biggest five banks lend up to about £190 billion to small businesses this year. But again, I mean, whether this is at all meaningful is yet to be to be seen, really. I mean, the banks would do pretty much that this year. I mean, they're, they're due to lend about £180 billion, So, so... Um, you know, the government has had to reduce the target down a bit for the to get the banks to sign up to it. So it's only going to be marginally above what they would do this year. Um, and I think this has been really problematic to to sort out with them. I mean, they don't want to be seen to be pushing the banks into reckless lending. They don't want them to be forced to lend into an economy that's um, still uh, very shaky. Um, so, the, you know, this has been a difficult one to, to to get sorted, but we should have some more news on that in the next couple of days. I think there's just a
2: huge amount of irony here in the fact that, you know, as you discussed, and lending has been the huge sticking point, and it's this push for this certain number and these targets on lending when it almost, you know, there is then the opposite of what we're saying, well, do you want us to lend to businesses that aren't credit-worthy or business, you know, and, and that there is this huge tension there. And the other big thing is, as I understand it, there's going to be this commercial get-out of banks that the loans that they do not make because of you know lack of credit worth won't be counted against, and it's still going to be a gross figure. So how banks are, you know, how they're actually going to measure whether people are hitting these targets um, is going to be incredibly also difficult. what
3: they're going to do if they don't hit them, which as far as we know is pretty much nothing. So. Well,
1: the, example, the only example we've got to, to base it on is what happened to RBS and Lloyd's, which have been... Uh, subject to these kinds of targets uh, for each of those banks for the last couple of years and have not hit them and haven't been punished in any way. So, uh, I
3: mean, it's more of just getting an agreement that banks will do everything they can to support businesses that are viable, which, you know, of course, in commercial interest, they would be doing that anyway. I mean, if there's a good... Uh, proposition to lend money to they're going they're going to do it anyway so I think one of
1: the most worrying statistics on that is that I just uh, had a meeting earlier on this morning with uh, some people at Bank of America who were saying that they were encouraged by a new trend in their small and medium sized lending in the states which after all the economy there is emerging from recession far more healthily than than the UK I think it's fair to say Um, uh, that their trends have turned up and they were growing at 1% now year on year. Uh, if you think that the, the lending targets from, the, from this Merlin project is likely to push the banks into 20% increases, that's kind of uh, concerning from a shareholder point of view. But as you say, uh, probably empty, empty targets and no punishment. So um, we'll, we'll see what actually comes out. And hopefully by this time next week, we'll be able to report back on, on the, the actual concrete um, project uh, announcement. Let's move on to our final topic for today, the bank results due this week from Europe. We've got the Swiss banks at the end of this week and then moving on from that, the French banks and some of the UK banks after that. What do you think, Megan, that the, the bank's results from Wall Street and from Deutsche Bank last week tell us about the likelihood of, of robust numbers from the Swiss and, and beyond that, the French?
2: It's difficult to obviously extrapolate results from Deutsche, which was last week and was the first European bank to report. And tomorrow we have UBS and on Thursday we have Credit Suisse. And we'll be able to get, I think, a nice a nice slice of, of how they've held up, particularly in uh, sales and trading, which is the big number that everyone's looking at because that's been traditionally the this sort of engine of profits for most of the banks. If you look at what Deutsche did last week, there was a very interestingly there was a very mixed opinion on this now deutsches pre announced their their earnings, so there wasn't a big surprise on their numbers. but what there was a surprise on was when they originally reported it seemed like they had outperformed in investment banking. And if you actually looked beneath it, the outperform was in their retail banking side, and that was due to the acquisition of PostBank. Some synergies there, which came in a little bit sooner than people thought. And a very mixed view from analysts on how they had performed in sales and trading, and in particular in fixed income, they're showing a little bit less of a drop than their big Wall Street competitors, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Goldman Sachs, and JP Morgan. So again, with Deutsche being such a fixed income powerhouse, it's difficult to judge across the spectrum. But I suspect that, UBS and Credit Suisse will mirror the sort of larger trend of weakness in fixed income as compared to a record 2009, but will not have fallen off as much as some of their Wall Street competitors have fallen off. Goldman, in particular, had a not very good fourth quarter. And that, you know, that sort of has really affected what they reported. The other big thing, obviously, to take out of the Swiss banks, which is a little bit different than the rest, is obviously their wealth management, their wealth management business, UBS we expect to show positive flows back into wealth management of slightly over two billion Swiss francs. That be the
1: first time we'll see positive inflows. Are they turned turned last time?
2: They turned last time, but the big thing to watch now and what people are really watching between is how can they close the gap with Credit Suisse, which obviously, as people recall, UBS had a massive. US tax investigation into being used as a harbor for US nationals to evade income tax that was immensely damaging not only you know to their business on a sort of bottom line basis but also reputationally nearly 100 billion Swiss francs in withdrawals and during this time Credit Suisse has really taken the lead and stolen a huge march now for example analysts are expecting that tomorrow UBS will report net inflows of just over 2 billion Swiss francs, whereas Credit Suisse will report net inflows approaching over 10 billion. So, you know, there's a, there's a major gap there, and, that, and that's always an interesting story to watch. And then obviously, flowing through the next week into Barclays and the the French banks, Barclays, again, closely will be watching. People will be watching their fixed income. Traditionally, they're a huge source of strength in the investment bank. And obviously, people will also be looking to impairments, which is still the big story, especially across Europe, and to see how those have hit and and whether or not they've sort of written off what they should have written off.
1: (laughs) Very good. Sadly, that's all we have time for. All that's left for me to do is to thank Charlene and Megan and Francesco in New York, and thank you for listening. Banking Weekly was produced by LJ Filatrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to FT.com forward slash podcasts.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the US, Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.